Hello and welcome to another episode of the EMG Gold podcast. I'm your host, Semboyasi, and I have another fantastic, fantastic guest for you on today's episode. But just before I welcome her, I want to give you some quick background so you know just about who it is that we're talking to today. So today's guest is Fran Ayala Samayadula. Fran is an experienced healthcare strategist and technologist who is dedicated to improving healthcare and access to healthcare for patients all over the world. She is currently the head of population health worldwide at HP, working on digital innovations and strategies to improve global population health. She has also held various positions at leading healthcare organizations such as WHO and the CDC and is an active member of groups such as the Wall of Tolerance and the United Nations Association. And amidst all of this, she finds the time to be a successful speaker and writer specializing in technology-enabled health solution. Fran, what a background. I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sen. It's a pleasure to be here. You've got such an interesting background just from what I read out there, but I'm sure there is so much more to it. But the first question I want to ask you, Fran, is was there a particular event or a person that encouraged you to pursue a career in healthcare technology in particular? Yeah, you know, my entire uh, family pretty much is uh, in healthcare. And I think growing up as a child, watching my father in uh, his practice as a dentist, he was a dentist for over 40 years, uh, the way that he practiced very community-based dentistry. Um, And we lived in um, an area in in Nashville, Tennessee. And while the area of Nashville itself was metropolitan, the surrounding areas were quite rural. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I can recall when people would come with whatever it is that they had um, to offer to him, you know, in exchange for his services. And oftentimes, of course, you know, many times he'd serve people with, without, um, requiring any source of payment. Um, but then they would, you know, forever come back with their, you know, whether it was their chicken or their something, right. They always had, (laughs) they were berries. I remember the straw, the huge basket of strawberries that one of them brought to him. So, um, I think that, you know, more than just, oh, having, you know, family who's in, in, in healthcare, but just seeing the way that they practice healthcare, um, is the thing that impacted me. And as I, uh, was, you know, growing up, I thought, okay, um, if anything, I want to be able to have an impact on as many people in a positive way as possible. And just watching him do that really positively influenced me. Love that. Thank you for for telling us that. And I wanted to go into something that I know that you're particularly passionate about, which is maternal health and the role of technology in improving maternal morbidity rates, which is an area I have to admit, I personally don't hear or see enough about. So can you tell us perhaps the biggest unmet needs in this area and what role pharma can play in improving patient outcomes? The biggest challenge is particularly maternal health. And you're right, Sin, this is an area that I I am passionate about. And I I have a lot of areas, truthfully, that I'm passionate about. But this one, I think, uh, really gets to me um, because we know so much about the data. And, uh, you know, the the thought that today that somewhere in the world, there are approximately 900 women dying right now, you know, as a result of... Um, preventable causes really is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, amongst them, there are these, there's sort of these silent um, indicators of, so they, so they're passing from things such as preeclampsia, right. Or hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that the, the signs and symptoms are often silent ones. 
um, and like blood pressure. And so, you know, they're just not, they don't know what's happening. And by the time that they find out, quite frankly, it's, it's, you know, too much time has lapsed. Right. Um, and so the key is, is to really make sure that there's that continuity of care between the obstetrician or, or midwife or community health worker and that patient and that, and that expected mother. Um, that's the real key. And while I applaud those organizations who most recently have issued out, um, you know, informational pamphlets for expectant moms um, that tell them to, you know, signs and symptoms. But again, you know, blood pressure itself is a is a silent killer. So mm-hmm. to tell someone, oh, you know, look out for extreme headaches or ringing in your ears well, by, or swelling, you know, excessive swelling in your hands or your face. Well, by the time those things have happened, I mean, you're really far along. So I just, there's some simple things like making sure that every mother, expected mom is taking her blood pressure during third trimester and continuing to take the blood pressure all the way through uh, 90 days postpartum is something that's really simple that we should be able to do. Um, and I just, I just will ask, I'm, you know, and impede the organizations and institutions and corporations such as pharmaceutical companies participate because there is a role that they can play. It sounds like there is a massive gap there and, and certainly not enough being done, especially as you said, given that the data is there. Um, yep. So I really, really hope that we do see some more changes, uh, positive changes in that area. Absolutely. I, Fran, I wanted to ask you a bit more about, um, again, the pharma industry and particularly around technology, because we found from our own research, from speaking to the industry in the past for many years now and articles that we've written, we found that pharma companies tend to trial tech solutions, but they don't often scale these uh, and you know to full rollout. How would you advise a digital innovator looking to create transformational technological adoption, particularly in the pharma industry? You know, that's a really great question. So I think it begins, and I mean, if you think about it and, and you know, having so much experience within the pharmaceutical industry yourself, I think, I mean, would you not admit that a lot of times what we te- what tends to happen from a marketing um, and outreach perspective is that it's like you're just throwing a bunch of balls against the wall and you're trying to figure out yeah. which one's going to stick. Isn't that kind of what you sort of see out there? Absolutely. All yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it, so essentially, <laughs> then that kind of gives like some indication as to why you're seeing the behaviors you're, you're seeing when it comes to digital technology. It's a lack of, of uh, due diligence, right? A lack of diligence and thinking strategically about how the technology can be deployed. Um, another thing is that sometimes, too, um, we take on too much too soon instead of breaking it down and making it simple. I mean, mm-hmm. if we think about it, people are simple, right? I mean, we are. We, we There are lots of elements about us that are very complex, but there are lots of things that fundamentally are pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And the best way to get us to um, make behavioral changes uh, is by, you know, adopting and and introducing and adopting a little bit over time, right? Like if you just were to jump into, you know, like right now it's over a hundred degrees outside. If I just jumped outside, um, 
you know, I, I, probably start, you know, screaming, oh my God, it's so hot out. Give me a glass of water. But if you like, if I sat out this morning and I just sat there and just let it get warmer and warmer, I'm just like a, I'm just like a frog boiling in water. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's essentially what, what happens with tech as well. It's like, you've got to like, take it simple, take, take it one step at a time. Um, and also be very deliberate in understanding who your audience is and what Mm. the needs of your audience are and you know and really meeting your audience where they are right if your target population um, is an older adult population as an example then overemphasizing the use of a smartphone device may not be the right approach to it right mm-hmm. um, not to say that older adults can't to be very successful to use of smartphone devices but we know from the data that they're you know they, they tend to be um, more successful with and gravitate more towards devices that have larger screen sizes um, mm. that, you know, have keyboards and have mice. And that makes sense because generally speaking, the things that we uh, tend to, um, you know, have a bit more challenge with as we age are our eyes and our hearing and our dexterity in our hands, right? Yeah. So these are the kinds of things that happen. And so, you know, you just have to have right expectations, break things down, make it, you know, make it simple, um, and understand your target audience and what, you know, what are they asking for? I think the way that you put that is great because uh, even though we are quite simple as human beings, we do love to overcomplicate things, don't we? we do. So we tend to see something like that and try and overcomplicate it. Whereas, as you said, just keep it simple uh, because we are simple and that's probably the way that we're probably most likely going to respond to it and therefore adopt it uh, more successfully. So, so yeah, you, you've articulated that really, really well. But Fran, what about kind of the situation that we find ourselves in now with COVID-19? Because you could argue that a lot of companies have um, much quicker adapted to certain digital solutions. How do you predict that the adoption of digital tech in healthcare in particular will positively impact the general population health? Well, we're already beginning to see some of that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you like looking at the numbers in terms of adoption rates of, of uh, solutions such as telehealth, we're definitely seeing where it's had, you know, that I was just um, with a group yesterday and they were kind of sharing some of the things that they're doing. Like as an example, um, I work, uh, not only do I work with um, expectant moms, but I, you know, work with a diverse uh, population, including the older adult population. And we have folks as, you know, as old as, Literally one is 100, just turned 100 July 24th, another who is 96 years of age. And, you know, they are interacting with their clinicians online and with telehealth. Now, that's not to say that they don't do so with the assistance of a a family member to get them sort of started, right? Um, Those are those are sort of the realities. We had to, again, meet people where they are and think about how to make it simple for them. But once they got started, they've been able to do so independently. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of what we're seeing. Once people get started, they're like, wow, why didn't I been doing this before? I was, I'm writing, I'm in the middle of writing a paper um, that's talking about um, this very subject. And I was chatting with a friend who uh, is actually on the, um, on the uh, data analytics side, um, of uh, the pharma industry. And, you know, he said, Fran, I had my first telehealth session the other day. And uh, he was like, I can't believe I hadn't already been doing this. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I know. Right. And it's the same thing with practitioners. Um, You know, uh, I'm a member, an active member of the American Telemedicine Association. And one of the uh, 
one of the clinicians who, you know, she's uh, seasoned, been around a really long time. She was just adamantly against telehealth. Just, it was something she just, she felt like the quality wasn't there. Um, that patient, you couldn't, you know, she could work with her patients that way and her, it wouldn't resonate with her patients. Mm. COVID hits and she had no choice, mm. right? That was, that was her option. That was her only option. Uh, and she did it. And it was like, it was like uh, green eggs and ham, you know, Dr. Seuss, right? It was like, try it, try it, try it, Sam I am or whatever it is, right? And it's like, she tried it. And now all of a sudden she's like this big advocate, like this mm -hmm. huge champion for telehealth. Now I'm not saying that this technology, remote patient monitoring, telehealth, remote, these other remote care solutions that, you know, it's a one size fits all. But it has certainly opened up opportunities for many people. And if we go back to the example of maternal health, uh, when we look in many areas of uh, not just the United States, but around the world, there are uh, obstetric deserts where there are areas where there aren't obstetricians, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so having access to specialists, uh, not just obstetricians, but also, you know, cardiologists and, you know, neurologists and others, these, these uh, clinical specialists, they just, they're not there. Um, and so how do you make sure that uh, people living in remote areas or where, for whatever reason, there's a shortage of specialty care, have access to that care? This technology can enable that. And I think that COVID has... Uh, really helped us in opening our eyes to, um, you know, how we've been sitting on this gold mine of resources that have been underutilized, and we're now finally putting it to good work. That's brilliant. And it's a very, very common theme that we've noticed from speaking to various people about the positive impact that this awful crisis has had on the industry so far when it comes to particularly opening your eyes as to all of these possibilities and things that you previously were either ignorant to or you just didn't know about. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, there's too many people have, have uh, died and suffered as a result mm -hmm. of this pandemic. And honestly, we can't afford to allow for their their pain, their suffering, and their loss to be in vain. Mm. Um, you know, there is so much good uh, that has revealed itself, has come out of this crisis. Mm -hmm. And if for nothing but for the sake of those that we have lost, we should really um, acknowledge and appreciate that and go forth and do good with the things that we have been able to identify from all of this. Beautifully said, Fran. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about your kind of role as a speaker, because you are a very celebrated thought leader, if I can say that. And I've seen quite a few of your um, your videos online and speaking, and you're very good. Um, so in the interest of any other people that might be listening in who are key opinion leaders, um, who, you know, want to be better at what it is that they do, how do you approach engaging an audience with your ideas and your experience? And, you know, I guess what has worked well for you and what have you found to be least and most impactful? So basically, what are your nuggets? What can people learn from you as a brilliant speaker and thought leader? The first thing is don't get caught up in your head. Um, you know, it's not, that doesn't mean that you don't come prepared, right? You've got to be prepared, know mm -hmm. your stuff. Um, but don't get so wrapped up in your stuff that you lose your voice and that you lose your audience. Um, people appreciate it when, when you're real and, and, um, and you're authentic. 
And of course, you know, the the old saying about with them, right? What's in it for me? Helping people understand why it matters for them is important. But again, you know, I personally believe that we all come we all come into this world with the same fundamental uh, goals and objectives, right? Same aspirations. We might they might appear slightly differently, and we may certainly take a different path to accomplishing them. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all humans. We're all people. We're all striving for the same thing. And if you can connect with that, that piece mm-hmm. of of human within you, of, that piece of humanity within you, then you can connect with anyone and everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's what what makes the true difference. Love that. And um, one more question for you, Fran. Sure. And I love this question. So considering that tech can be a traditionally male-dominated industry, and I don't know how much truth there is to it now because I know back in the day it used to be like that, so I don't know if it's still like that. So maybe you can help shed some light on that. But if that is the case, uh, it's obviously important to empower women to champion one another in the industry even more. Do you have any standout female role models that have inspired you during your career? Wow, that's a, you know, that's a really um, good question. I, at one point I would have said Meg Whitman, you know, Mm. um, I, you know, having, you know, obviously worked for, I work for HP, right, and head of population health worldwide at HP on top of all of the volunteer work that I do. Um, And when I had stepped into HP, um, there was a lot of changeover in terms of the executive leadership. And I remember that the CEO who had just been appointed at the time um, ended up leaving within like a year of his appointment. And then Meg came in. And I think that it was, um, it was interesting to watch as she went through the organization. And I, and I found, I applauded her for doing some of the things that I don't know, I, I guess kind of see sort of, um, innate in myself, like natural within me that I tend to do, which is when I step into a new environment, I want to get to know the people that I'm working with. And I remember her going from, you know, site to site and visiting with people and talking with people and, sh- and not just doing that, but also sharing, uh, the things that she was find you know, finding mm-hmm. in those environments. And, you know, there's this, there are statistics that say that women tend to listen, um, you know, the research shows that we tend to listen more than, than men do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, just think that's an element of it, that there was a willingness to listen. And that's not to see that everything that she came up with thereafter was something that I applauded or agreed with. Mm-hmm. But what it is to say is that, um, that there was an approach that was taken that was um, respectful yeah. And acknowledging of everyone. Yeah. And if we don't have, um, if we don't have that, then it does become difficult to, uh, you know, to hear people and understand what their needs are and also understand how best to go about deploying whatever agenda you might have, right? In a way that leaves mm-hmm. um, everyone with their dignity intact, um, no mm-hmm. matter how hard the decisions might be. Uh, and I think that that was something that uh, was noteworthy in her character. 
Brilliant example. Uh, yeah, I, I was a big fan of her back in the day as well. To be fair, I haven't followed her for a while. I know she's a CEO of another company now mm-hmm. um, since leaving HB. But yeah, I remember I remember her back in the day. Yep. Great. Thank you so much, Fran. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So many inspiring nuggets to take away. And thank you thank so much. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. I really enjoyed it. Me too. And uh, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm looking forward to welcoming you back again next week for another great interview. Thank you and take care.